Well, as Amy said and Kristen has mentioned, we are entering into this new sermon series, Christmas in July. What better time of year to celebrate Christmas? To have chestnuts roasting over an open flame. Hot chocolate. Peppermints. Well, maybe peppermints. They're kind of cool. But what a time, right? July? July the 11th? This is when we're going to pick to celebrate Christmas this year? Well, not really. What we wanted to do is, given what happened last year in the wonderful world of 2020, when hindsight is perfect, we recognized that we didn't get to do what we normally do at Christmas in December of 2020. We didn't get to gather in the fellowship hall and listen to the children sing songs and present their Christmas program. We didn't get to have the Christmas cantata. We didn't get to have all of the, of the snacks. You like? I love snacks. There was so much that we missed. We had to put on hold. But Christmas came anyway. We just did it differently. God was there. We were there with God, and God was there with us, and we celebrated. We, we rejoiced at the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, even if it wasn't as we would have expected, as we had anticipated year in and year out at Ashland Place. That's the wonderful thing about God. God is always there. When we expect God to be there, God is there. When we anticipate God to be there, God, God's there. When we look for God, God's there. When we don't look for God, God's there. When we don't anticipate, God is there. When we don't expect, God is there. So even in Christmas of 2020, God was there with us. But what does it mean to celebrate and to, to think about, to contemplate, to reflect, and to maybe even have a time of reflection? To think about Christmas in the middle of ordinary time. In July. On July the, July the 11th. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why? Well, I wonder, when we have Christmas... Year in and year out, on December the 25th, on whatever day it falls, we always come with a certain set of expectations and anticipations, right? We come knowing that we, well, this, well, at least at our house, probably, I'm assuming we're not that different. Leanne's giving me the eye. Y'all didn't see that? She's in the back. But she has, she has all of these decorations. She has, she has things she puts out, and they have their place. And, and those, place, those things find their place in our house in every December. I expect it. You expect it at your house. You have, you have trinkets and decorations that you put out. Maybe it's new china or Christmas china and, and all the stuff that goes with china, napkins and chargers, things like that. 
We expect it, and we, and we do it, and we did it anyway. We didn't get to have the parties we were accustomed to having. You didn't either. We didn't get to have family come over, go to their house, and you didn't either. But you know who came? You know who was there? God was there. In all the messiness of 2020, in all of the confusion and the unexpected and the unanticipated that 2020 brought, God was there. That's an amazing thing for me to think about, for me to, to hold. It's a powerful thing for the church to grab a hold of and to embrace and to never let go. God is there. So maybe it is a really good thing for us to spend July the 11th and the 18th and the 25th to think about Christmas, what God is doing in our midst, his presence with us in all the messiness of life. Why does God even come? And, and why in the world would God send his Messiah to the world in such a manner? I mean, think about it. The Messiah, the anointed one of God, shows up in a manger. Isn't that just... But in your jaw, my jaw, if, it, if I really think about this, the divine, God's anointed, the spirit brought forth the revelation of God in such a way and placed the revelation in the midst of straw, wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laid in this manger. Unex unanticipated, unexpected. Wasn't looking for that. Maybe a, a war horse coming in through the gate with an army, I would look for that. And maybe that's what the Jewish people were looking for. Those who were expecting, those who were anticipating the Messiah of God, they wanted this warlord. They wanted this warrior to, to kick the oppressors out, to get rid of the Romans, and to bring up Israel to be this superpower. In the same vein as David's reign. We don't always get what we expect or what we anticipate in the messiness of life. There's this wonderful book written by um, John Irving called A Prayer for Owen Meany. Has anyone heard of this? Raise your hand if you've read it. I read this several years ago. It's a powerful book. Now, it's irreverent. But in its irreverence, it highlights some powerful theological themes. There's a, the book takes place, the, the setting of the book is in early 1950s, way before my time. And it takes place in New Hampshire, in a place called Graveson, New Hampshire, way out of my world. And it follows this young boy named Johnny Wheelwright, who was, was orphaned at a very young age. And he goes to live with extended family. And while he's living in Grayson, New Hampshire with his extended family, he, he meets this odd little child, a slight young boy. His name was Owen, Owen Meany. Owen was tiny. He was very short, slight. He, 
the book describes him as weightless, that the children, his own age, would pick him up and play catch with him. They would throw him from one child to the other. He was this tiny little precious boy. And he had a very grating voice. It was very high-pitched and gravelly. And so it was just kind of this irritating thing. So you can just imagine this pleasant picture that John Irving is laying out for Owen Meany. Let me tell you the power of Owen Meany. The slight boy, the weightless one, the unexpected one, the unanticipated one, the unseen one. Johnny Wilwright says, if it weren't for Owen Meany, I wouldn't believe in God. Because of Owen Meany, I am a Christian. That's how the book opens. When they're young boys in Christmas of 1953 in Grayson in the Congregational Church in Grayson, New Hampshire, they're having the, the annual Christmas pageant and the play. So the nativity scene is all there, and they are, they're, they're auditioning for their parts. Well, if you're going to have flying angels in your, in your nativity, in your, your Christmas pageant, who's the best person to put on that swing? Oh, and meanie, the slight one. The weightless one. So he gets the part. He didn't really want the part. It's not the part he wanted. He wanted the big part. He wanted the spotlight. The everlasting spotlight. But they gave him the part of the angel. Well, one thing about this book and one thing about Owen Meany is that he orchestrates everything in the book. So before the time for the play to come up, he's no longer the angel. We now find Owen Meany wrapped in swaddling clothes, bare-chested, bare-legged, in December of Graveson, New Hampshire. Time for the play. Here's young Owen laying in the manger. Mother Mary, a girl he doesn't really like, is hovering over him, looking adoringly at this newborn child. His, his friend is, 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 the, is the father, Joseph, and he's just looking up, praying for help. And, and there's this, one of their best friends is now the angel, and he's dangling for his life as the angel. Can't remember a line of, his, of the script. And so there you hear, coming out of the manger, this gravelly tin voice, all the lines of the angel. And this poor angel dangling, facing backwards, is reciting his lines as Owen Meany's giving him his lines. It's time for Mother Mary to say her that she's going to cherish all these things in her heart. She can't remember. And you hear from the manger, I will cherish these things in my heart. It's time for Father Joseph to have his say. He can't remember. And from the manger comes this gravelly tin voice. Finally, Owen Meany just sits up in the manger, staring out, glaring into the congregation, and he sees his parents sitting on the front row, and he yells to them, Why are you here? You should not be here. Why are you here? You need to leave. Well, what would you do? 
This son you love is yelling at you to leave. Well, people in the congregation began to get up, began to file out into the cold and the snow. There in the manger was sitting Owen Meany with his nose running and tears streaming down his face. Why are you here? Joseph and their friend picked him up and began to take him outside. As they go outside into the snow, into the cold, his nose is running, his eyes are, are, are tearing, and his skin is turning pink from the cold. What a vision. What a vision of God's revelation. How shocking and awesome is that vision. You know, I always want to have that nativity scene in front of me where there's this perfect baby boy. There's no runny nose. There's no bodily fluids. Conrad, you know, birth is messy. Parents, you, you know, parents, birth is messy, uncomfortable or painful. And there's bodily fluids. That's not what I see. That's not what I expect. That's not what I anticipate. That's not what I look for. And that's the image, that's the revelation that God gives us of his anointed, his son, to the world. How vulnerable. How innocent. How messy. That's, that's God's revelation for us. And as we take a look at Christmas, seven months removed, and we look back on that Christmas day and that Christmas Eve, what did we expect to see? What did we anticipate to see in the manger? What did we want to see or hear from the manger. God's revelation. So powerful. So awesome. Amazing. And vulnerable. And messy for us. For me and for you. And for the entire world. So as we take this step back, seven months we take this step back, and we look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, we can see the whole point, the purpose, the ministry, the mission of God for His Son, for the revelation of the good news. And we see Jesus in His hometown. As He arrives in His hometown, He's been, he's been to the desert, He's been baptized, the Spirit has fallen upon Him, Showing him in the world that the Spirit of God is with him, resting upon him. The Spirit has led Jesus into this wilderness where he is tested and tempted by the great tempter, and he has resisted and conquered the tempter three, three times. And now we find him back in Galilee, preaching, teaching, healing, proclaiming the good news. Word begins to spread. Word all over is getting, his fame is growing. And, and people begin to gather. They want to know more. They want to see. They, want to, they expect, they anticipate, they, they want to see. 
they want to hear. And so when he arrives in his hometown, when you, if you ever go back home to your hometown, is, do you, are, you, are you still seeing the way you were when you were a small child? Are we still seen as Owen Meany and Grayson, New Hampshire, the boy who yelled out in the middle of the Christmas play, the one who embarrassed everyone, the one who shocked everybody? It's hard to go back to our hometowns because of the anticipation and the expectation, the boundaries and the borders that we put on ourselves and on each other. It was the same for Jesus. People had their expectations and what they anticipated and they had their boundaries. But Luke tells us what it was like. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee. And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Taking this step back seven months into ordinary time, we begin to see the mission, the identity, the ministry of Jesus. To proclaim the good news, to free the captives, to give sight to the blind to release the oppressed, to give them freedom. That was shocking news to those who were gathered in the synagogue that day. It was even more shocking when he said, in hearing this, today this has been fulfilled. That was even more shocking. But how did those people in the synagogue receive this proclamation of good news? How did, how did they receive the word that the kingdom of God was coming for the poor, to the oppressed, to those who are captured? How do we receive it in this sanctuary? This is the mission of God, the ministry of the revelation of God, of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the good news is for the oppressed, for the impoverished, for those who are blind, for those in captivity. We have to ask ourselves. I have to ask myself. I hope and pray you ask yourself. How am I blind? What can I not see? How am I oppressed? 
What is keeping me captive? What limits and prevents my freedom? That's an important question. That's the ministry and the mission of God revealed in that manger. Oh, how God comes to us and remains with us in our lives in ways that we cannot expect, in ways we cannot anticipate, in ways that we can't even see. But when it happens, we must take a step back and look back in our history to see where God is, see where God was, and to begin to understand where God will be wherever we go whatever circumstance and whatever situation we are in. I don't know the unique situations and circumstances you find yourselves in. I don't know the weight you carry. I don't know the barriers and the hurdles you must overcome. I know I have them. And I believe each and every one of us have hurdles and barriers and weight to bear. And maybe when we begin to answer this questions about what blinds us, what captures us and keeps us in captivity and what oppresses us, maybe then we begin to understand. We begin to see, we begin to hear the good news. God's revelation that was revealed in such a vulnerable and innocent and messy way is for us. That God would make God's self so vulnerable that we can relate, that we can hold, we can approach. Life can be messy. And when it is, God is there. And for that, I give thanks. When we understand, when we experience the revelation of God, it's a wonderful and powerful and awesome and amazing an unexpected and unanticipated, vulnerable, messy message. And God does it for me. And he does it for you and for us. And as he does it for us, he does it for the whole world. And we participate in this in this revelation, in this ministry, in this mission, as we look at the world around us to listen and to look and see the poor around us, the oppressed in our midst, those who are living in captivity, those who are bearing too much weight. My prayer and my hope for today and for this sermon series is that we will embrace Christmas in all of its expectations and anticipations and all that is unexpected. 
and come to embrace the revelation of God with the joy that we have at Christmas seven months later in the middle of July, in the middle of the heat, in the middle of the humidity and the rain, God is there. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.